You guys, I was about ready to break out in a little river dance right there, you know? Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> just, pull, just pull a hamstring. <laughs> well, happy 4th of July. Good to see everybody here. I know uh, from, from here to Fremont last night, we were driving back and forth. There's a bunch of parties going on, so if you had one last night, I appreciate you making it here this morning. And um, a couple of places says, honk. If you honk, we will drink. And I'm thinking... They're probably drinking no matter if I'm honking or not. So, <clears throat> Anyways, well, if you're talking to a friend of yours, maybe a co-worker, and they ask you this question, if, if no one can see God, how do you know he exists? Now, don't answer out loud. How would you, in your own head, how would you answer that question? Maybe you would go right to the Bible, right? Find some verses in the Bible that would prove the existence of God. Now again, his existence, because this is by faith, but some reasonable arguments, uh, some logical arguments um, people can give for that there seems to be that there'd be a God. So maybe you'd use the Bible. Maybe you would go to the more of the philosophical side and do the ontological argument or the teleological argument. It's pretty good words, aren't they? I have no clue what they mean, but <clears throat> sounds good. Or the moral argument. Um, or maybe you would use a, one like this. Well, just look at my life. No? <laughs> Everyone's looking at me blank. What? Yeah, you want to know that there's God, a God in this world? Just look at my life. In fact, there's a guy named Robert McSwain. He's a professor and author. He's writing a book early on in this book. He hasn't even given a, a title yet. Um, but he's come up with a, with a new argument, um, and he calls it the hagiological argument. And what basically that means is that there is a, a, a rational, logical argument for the existence of God by the transformed life that happens through a person who believes in God. Now, I, I give it quotation marks because really that's not new. Um, God actually gave Paul that 2,000 years ago. Um, and so go ahead, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're starting out a new series called Image of the Invisible. <clears throat> and we're going through the book of Colossians. And Paul starts out right in chapter 1, and he's saying those that are in Christ, those that have placed their faith in Christ, that we are, can be, a proof for God's existence, that he can, or we can be an image of the invisible. Um, and so let me just kind of give you some background information here as we get uh, going into this. First of all, Paul's writing from prison. So this is 61, 62 AD, a little over 30 years since Jesus Christ has been on the earth. Uh, and again, Paul is going around and he's preaching the gospel. And it's, he's not so much in pre prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison because of what happens in the cities where he preaches the gospel. And he'll go in and he'll bring the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and people will turn to Christ. They'll put their faith in Jesus Christ, which means they are moving away and going away from their religion that they're currently in. Now, you have to understand something. In the first century, everything was based on religion. All right? Today, we're you know, we're in a world where science and all that kind of stuff is in place, but we all have a religion. Basically, it's our, us. You know, each, every person uh, has something they worship. That's what religion is. And so if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else, including 
yourself. But back then, everything was centered around religion. And so as those people were placing their faith in Christ, they were leaving their old religion. They were leaving the temple. <clears throat> they were leaving uh, giving their money to the temple. They were li- uh, leaving buying more and more idols that they would have in their homes in order to help them get the whatever God they were worshiping, get his or her approval. <clears throat> that would cause problems. And so people would get very upset about this. And they would begin then to get a riot going. And we are kind of familiar with those, sadly, in our country, right? And so they're getting a riot going, and pretty soon Paul and whoever was with him would be beaten up and kicked out of town. And so he's now in prison because of these riots that he's been kicking up, or people have been kicking up, and he's waiting to hear whether he's going to live or die. In this case, he's with Timothy, so Timothy's not necessarily in prison with him, but he's sitting there, and he's helping write these letters that Paul is writing during this time. He's depending on him and other Christians for the food that they're going to have and, and all that. So Paul is writing to those who have placed their faith in Christ in a town of Colossae. Now Paul has never met these people. He's never been there. The church was actually started by Epaphras. So he was actually a homegrown boy who had come to know Christ at some other point. Um, he's friends with Philemon. There was a book that was written called Philemon in the New Testament. And so he comes back to his hometown. It's a small town. It's not that big of a deal when it comes to this um, time of, in, in the world. But he comes back. And so Paul then is writing to these Christians, these people who have placed their faith in Christ, because there's a false teaching coming into the church. It's an early form of what we call Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism teaches is that if you want a deeper knowledge, you have to get into these other rituals other religious rituals and teachings and belief. That it's not just Jesus, but it's Jesus plus, and there's just all this other stuff that you need to put in, and that'll give you a deeper knowledge or a better connection or to be more full in your following of God. And <clears throat> we have that today in, in our world. Uh, again, it's not necessarily always religious in its... Um, Background. In fact, we have things happening today politically where they're glomming on to Jesus Christ. And so we have Christian wokeness happening. We have Christian equity happening. We have Christian critical race theory happening. And it's all, and we'll talk more about this in the next several weeks, but <clears throat> these things are coming into the church. And they're saying, if you truly want to follow Jesus, you need to make these things part of your life. And again, that's just the political side, not the religious side. So Paul's laying out for his readers, for, for the people in Colossae as well as ourselves, that no, it's Jesus, and only Jesus, and all through Jesus, that we can have this deeper understanding and deeper relationship with God. So you have Paul, he's sitting in this cold, damp, stench-filled cell, he's got the clothes on his back, he's got a, a cloak or a blanket, Timothy is there, but he's relying on Timothy and the other believers to, to give him the food that he needs. Uh, he's you know, hoping to find out at some point, doesn't know when, if he's going to live or die. And it's interesting because we're going to read what he thanks God for, and then we're also going to read what he currently prays for on behalf of these believers. And if you were in that situation, <clears throat> what would you be praying you're sitting in a cold, dark, damp cell. 
waiting on everybody else to give you whatever you, you need to, to live, waiting and waiting and waiting to find out if you're going to live or die, what would you be praying? And it's interesting what Paul prays for. He doesn't pray for himself to be removed. He, he doesn't pray for the Colossian believers who are also going through persecution because Christians did in the first century. He wasn't asking God to remove them or to remove the persecution from them. He's praying that he and his readers through these circumstances would have a deeper understanding and relationship with God. And really, when we think about it, for us, that really needs to be a perspective of our prayers. Not that we don't pray for healing for people, not that we don't pray for God to change our circumstances. It's okay to pray those things, but we need to kind of get a little bit higher than that and just say, but God, help me to learn who you are. Help me to know who you are or are and how you operate. My tongue isn't quite working this morning, so they're not communicating with my, my head very well for some reason. Anyways, we need to find out what, is, what it is that he wants to do in and through us. What is it he wants us to learn? Well, let's go and look at this image of the invisible and what Paul has been praying and thanking God for as it pertains. So we're going to start in verse 3. He says this, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always, remember Paul says pray without ceasing, right? So he's an example of that. Praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now, why are they loving the believers? Why are these people who have come to faith in Christ now loving other believers? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just in all the world, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood. Now there's that connection again. It's not just hearing the gospel, it's receiving it, understanding it, applying it. The grace of God and truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he has also informed us of your love in the spirit. So we get out of these verses this truth, all right? The truth is this. <clears throat> God is seen when we place our faith in Jesus and love others because of our hope of heaven. So we want to break this down this morning that God can be seen in and through our lives, but it first starts with this faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, this is this relationship that God initiates, <clears throat> but that we take a step of faith and we believe in Christ. Now, faith is the same word as kind of believe or trust, and so we entrust our spiritual well-being to God. We don't entrust ourselves to be good enough to have a relationship with God to eventually get to heaven one day when we die. We trust God and we, we, we want him to do whatever needs to be done in order for us to have that relationship with him and one day spend eternity with him. And so God says that Jesus, God the Son, who came and became man, he died on the cross, not for his sins, but for your sins and for my sins. And that he took God's wrath. He took the consequences that we should have from God on himself. And in order for him to do that then, um, for that to actually happen in our lives, 
we need to receive that. We need to believe that. We need to entrust ourselves into what God is saying. And when we do that, when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, he initiates this uh, spiritual, invisible, kind of unseen transaction. And this is the transaction that takes place. Now, again, I'm not getting into all the verses I explain this. So you can study it out for yourselves. But the transaction is this. Our sin, when we say, God, please forgive me my sin, and I'm trusting that Jesus died for me, our sin is forgiven and is given, transferred to Jesus. And when he died on the cross, that was the transference. That was the wrath that he took, God's wrath for us. And then, if that doesn't enough, then God's perf- or Christ's perfect life is given to us. Now, we don't become perfect in the sense that we now no, no longer ever sin. We will be perfect when we get to heaven. But for now, when God sees us, he doesn't see us in our sin anymore. He sees Christ, because Christ is our substitute. And he sees Christ's perspective, or uh, perfection. And so he, he gets, we get forgiveness, and then we also get Jesus' perfect life given to us. Now, verses 13 and 14, chapter 1, we'll look at next week, but it talks about being uh, spiritually uh, in spiritual darkness and then moved into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about this. He says, and you were dead, or spiritually speaking, in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves us, when we are dead in our transgressions, when we are spiritually dead, he makes us alive. So it's God who does this inner, uh, unseen, in that sense, spiritual transaction. We know that that's God, the Holy Spirit, who comes into our life. And he's the one who gives us spiritual life. Now, how, does, how did Paul and his readers, or us today, how, how do we know if a person's truly placed their faith in Christ? How can we, ourselves, you know, kind of evaluating, going, yeah, I, I, I believe that I have placed my faith in Christ. What he says next is that we will demonstrate this God-empowered love for all the saints. So it kind of starts in our church. It starts with other Christians, other believers. And so then God is seen initially in our relationships with each other, how we respond to each other. Now, as, as we see people come up part of our church or people come into our church, and one of the things that I, I've heard more than ever, which is great, is that, man, I just love coming to Grace Point because it's just such a friendly church. People are just so friendly, and, and then maybe they come to an event like we have the Kyos, the 4th of July thing, and maybe they come to that, and they realize, oh, wow, that's not just on a Sunday morning. They actually do it on the weekends, other parts of the weekends, you know, or, or during the week. That's God's Spirit working in and through us who have placed our faith in Christ and so this is going to be produced in our, our spiritual family, our, our church family. And so this love, it's seen in our love. So our, now again, I had a, um, with the nine o'clock service, we kind of started, I kind of started this way, that love is sacrifice. Okay, I just want to make sure. That was my dramatic pause. So, a little bit too long? Is it too long? I'm sorry. If it made you feel awkward, sorry. 
Sometimes we come to church so much and we hear, ah, agape, agape love, which is Greek. And so, yeah, Christian love. We just love Christian love. But then on, on Sunday afternoon, on Monday morning, with our other believers, we don't respond in love. Because we like to talk about it when we're here, but when we leave here, it's like we forget what it is. Christ-like love, the agape love that it's, we're always called as Christians to demonstrate, first in our church family and then outside, is sacrifice. Sacrifice hurts. It may hurt us emotionally. It may hurt us mentally. It may uh, hurt us in a sense spiritually, in the sense that we don't want to do what we know we need to do for the person who we're loving or showing love to. It may hurt our pocketbook. It may hurt our reputation. It, it might um, you know, hurt our time. We may not get to do the things that we want to do because we're doing things that need to be done for the sake of somebody else, meeting their need. This is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Now, when he says I've loved you, he's talking about the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That wasn't some neat little story. That actually happened. And there was pain involved. I don't know if you've read it recently. There was physical pain. There was mental pain. There was emotional pain. There was spiritual pain. He took your sin and my sin on himself. He didn't deserve it. He was perfect. He's God. But he did it. Why? Because he loves us. That you also love one another by this, loving others when they don't deserve it, causing pain to ourselves. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It starts here in our church family, our spiritual family, loving each other. John, then, when he wrote his first letter, he goes, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us, in our lives, and his love is perfected. It is seen in us. The key word, as I keep coming back to, is sacrifice. Responding to what somebody else needs in a way that may cost us something. Usually does cost us something. Otherwise, it's phileo. If we're just doing it because, yeah, we like the person and we know we'll get something back from them, that's not love. Not agape love. It could be phileo love, that brotherly, familial type of love. And he says that our love for others is motivated by what our hope laid up for us in heaven. Think about that. When you do love somebody, when you finally kind of take that step of going to love somebody, what's motivating you to do it? Paul says that those, are in, those people who are in Christ, they're motivated by the hope of heaven. They're, so they're, they're like looking past the person and they're looking at heaven. What does he mean by that? Well, the word hope in the Bible isn't going, oh man, I hope I get there, you know. Biblical hope is certainty that something's going to happen based on the person who's promising it. Well, who's promising us heaven? God is. God always does what he promises. And so we have a certain expectation. We know for sure our hope is in Christ and our future is going to be in heaven. He said it's laid up for you. And it means to be put away for safekeeping. And it's a present tense. It was 
talking with Clark, and Clark's been doing some teaching for us on uh, Thursday night, and Greg's been doing it, and Greg's taking a little break because Renee is here, by the way, this morning. <laughs> um, yeah, so awesome. So Greg's been taking care of Renee, but anyways, getting into these words is just, it's so fun, and, and it's, it's, uh, it just kind of opens up God's word, but this is a present tense. So what's happening here is this uh, reward, this heaven that we have, it's laid up for us. It's there. It's already there in heaven. And it's always there. It's never taken away. It's never not protected by God. I mean, you talk about eternal security. So we believe that once you truly place your faith in Christ, that's never taken away. Why? Because God is telling us he's got it laid up there. It's a present tense. It's there right now, just waiting for us. And so, bringing back to the point, because I, I know that I have heaven, and I know, because the Bible teaches that there's going to be rewards above that for when I do stuff God's way, then I can sacrifice whatever, however many years I have on this earth, 80, 90, who knows, I can sacrifice, I can experience pain in my life in order for you all and other people to have what they need because when I get to heaven, which is eternity, it's eternal, it's infinitely long, there's going to be rewards up there because I'm demonstrating love for Christ. And it's the same for you. When we, we can love, we can sacrifice, we can, we can have that pain in our lives because we're going to be rewarded for it in heaven, over and above heaven. The Bible tells us there's going to be rewards there. And then before moving on, Paul makes this one last statement. He says, consistently bearing fruit, it's increasing. In other words, this is going to happen. If you've placed your faith in Christ, your ability, because of who God is and His Holy Spirit in your life, you will be able to love you will be able to sacrificially meet the needs of people in your life, starting your church family. You will be able to do that. How do I know that? Because God says you will. Because it's constantly bearing fruit. That's what he means by that. You're going to constantly become more and more like Jesus Christ. You're going to grow spiritually in maturity, and you're going to be given more and more opportunities to reflect that, to show that, to other people. And he says it's increasing. Now there's two ideas here. First of all, increasing, process, moving. So in other words, it starts here very small. You first come to Christ, you don't know most everything, right? And so you, you get started and start, you know, you're getting God's word and you start reading God's word and you're part of a church family. And you're hearing you know, the Bible taught at different places, what, two, uh, Sundays and Thursdays. And, and then you, you get more involved in the church and then you start being able to serve other people. And so now you're loving them that way and you're talking about who God is and, and it's a process. So it starts small, but it's always going to increase. Why? Because God's doing it. God doesn't fail. God's always at work. And so we're going to become more and more like Christ. And we're going to have more opportunities to love others. As God brings more people to Christ in our church family, you're going to get pretty good at loving each other. And then more people are going to come in. And you're going to be like, I've got to learn how to love that person. I've got to learn how to love that person. So then Paul continues on. 
And so it's not just here in, in our church. It kind of expands out. And he says, hey, this is what I continue to pray for you on top of what I thank God for. And so this love, it starts in here, and we develop in here, and we grow in here, and then it flows out of our church building into those who need it. And look what Paul then says. For this reason also, what reason? Well, their faith in Jesus and the love for others. Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, why is Paul asking God for this? Nice part. So that you'll walk or respond to life in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does a life worthy of the Lord look like? Well, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit, there it is again, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, why does God do all this for us? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us or makes us worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so this is going to move out, and God's going to be seen outside of our church family. And so he says, um, so there's a, there's a bunch, of ver- a bunch of verbs, and there's only two verbs that are active, that we do, and that is to walk worthy and to give thanks, joyously give thanks. All the other verbs are passive. In other words, it's all that God does for us or does in us or does through us. But let's look at this walking worthy, what we're supposed to do. So worthy just means to look like or represent accurately. So we walk worthy in the name of, of, of the Lord. Well, the Lord, Jesus, how did he live? Well, then we begin to grow and develop and become more like Jesus. What's that look like? Well, we please him in all respects. Jesus pleased God in everything he did. He was perfect. And so that's kind of what we shoot for. So we learn how to please him in, in each and every area of our life. In fact, if you're going through a struggle today, you can be confident that that struggle is something God's giving you because that's where you need to learn how to please him. He's saying, hey, here's a weakness in your, in your life. Here's your next place that I want to work in your life in order for you to become more like Jesus Christ, to reflect me in your life. And so we don't look at our difficulties. We shouldn't. We often do. I know I struggle with it. When we have difficult times, it's not because God's letting something to hurt us. He's letting it there for us to grow, to get back with him, to spend time with him and his word, to find out what do you want to do in me. And that's that bearing fruit in every good work. Now, there's two ideas here. Again, it's God growing us, God making us more and more like Christ. So as we, we get with God in his word and we, in prayer, as we spend time with our church family and we ask our church family to pray and maybe even ask them for some advice and continue on with our serving and sharing Christ, there's this fruit that grow, grows in us. We become more like Christ. Again, God's Holy Spirit's in us, so that's happening. But it also, it's the fruit of seeing people come to Christ. Because how they see us living our lives, they're going to wonder more about it. And so we share with them what Christ is doing, what he's done for us. And, and we, we see them, Lord willing, come to Christ. And then he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is, this is just so good. Because the word knowledge there in the Greek is not just gnosis, which is interesting because Paul's talking about uh, uh, refuting 
these Gnostics, all right, they're Gnosticism. They, they say, hey, there's a deeper knowledge. Paul uses a word that goes even deeper than their deep knowledge. He says, no, you want the deeper knowledge? You want to know God through and through? You can know him, but it's through Christ, and it's through doing life the way Christ says to do it. It's this intimate and personal knowledge. It's experiencing God's promises and power in our lives, what he says in God's word, happening in our lives. So how is your relationship with God? Do you feel kind of estranged? Do you feel kind of disconnected? You you know, know, I put my faith in Christ, but I'm just not really feeling it. Well, Paul's telling us, this is how you make sure that you are connected in with God. If you're not in his word and prayer, if you're not connected in with your church family and worshiping together on Sundays and Thursdays, if you're not serving other people, and if you're not sharing your faith, because that's where it is, that's where you learn and have this deeper knowledge of God. And then Paul goes on to all these passages. He says that God fills us with the knowledge of his will. So not only do we get to know who God is, we actually get to know what his will is, what he wants us to do. The word filled there means to make full. It means to be filled to the brim. It's like this idea of a flood coming over us. It means to be totally dominated or controlled. In other words, God says, hey, listen, I want you to completely, without question, know what my will is for you. And he says that you can have the knowledge. That's that epigenosis again. That's that intimate through and through. You can know what God's will is intimately, for sure, definitely, without question. This is what God wants It's not just knowing the facts, not just knowing the truth, it's not just knowing the promises, but it's also knowing how it applies and interacts with your life. And it's God who provides the deeper knowledge of his will. Now, what's his will? It's just what he wants you to do, what he wants to do in and through you. It's not just what he means about salvation, but then all this other these aspects of life, how it plays out. What does God want to do in and through you? Now, some of this stuff is just directly, boom, here it is. God commands it, and okay, that's what I'm supposed to do in that situation. Other situations, we got to kind of go, hmm, I'm not really sure, because the Bible doesn't really direct, direct me how to do it, so how do I really do it? And that's where this all spiritual wisdom and understanding come in. So God's not just going to give you knowledge of his will, but he's going to give you the spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, it comes from God's Word. It's spiritual, so it comes from God and God's Holy Spirit. It's wisdom, which means applying God's truth to life situations. So you, you read God's Word, and maybe you talk with some mature believers, and you, you kind of get an idea, okay, this is what God says about this situation. But it's also understanding. This has the idea of kind of like connect the dots. You know, how, how does this all actually play out in my life? Because again, the Bible doesn't address every situation that you may find yourself in. But you you get this understanding from God, God the Holy Spirit, in His Word, God the Holy Spirit giving you how to connect the dots. How do I need to do? And you're like, well, not really sure if I do, but I'm going to, I think this is what I, and what do you do? You take a step of faith. You do what God's called you to do or what you're believing God's calling you to do because sometimes you just don't. You're going to take a step of faith, which is what the next thing happens. He said that God strengthens us. 
We're strengthened with all power. The word strengthened and all power, they come from the same word. And we get our word dynamite from it. So it's dunamo or dunamis, depending on which one we're talking about here. So it means to be enabled. It's endowed with the capability, the ability to do something. It's at present tense and it's passive in its voice. In other words, God will always day in, day out, no matter the circumstance, no matter what we're going through, no matter the person that we're dealing with, no matter how we feel about it, God will strengthen us. That's a promise from God. Never do we need to question whether God is going to strengthen us. He's going to strengthen us, not with just a little bit, all power. This is that intrinsic and spiritual ability. Why? Because God's Spirit is living in us. And so God's Spirit gives us the strength that we need. God's power is infinite. It's according to. It's all power. It's not a little bit. It's all of it. He said, according to his glorious might. This word might there means the power to rule, control, or dominate. In other words, whatever God says, hey, I want you to do. I want to do this through you. I want you to take this step of faith. God says, I'm going to give you the power to dominate that thing. And it don't mean it a negative beat up somebody. You're going to have what you need to do what God's called you to do. Again, a promise from God. Why? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Isn't that really what we want? Steadfastness. It's the ability to, to hang in there when things get difficult because we're always going to fa- face difficult situations. Don't ever believe that you're not going to have a difficult situation to face. There's always going to be because we live in a fallen world. And so when we do what God's called us to do, when we spend that time with Him, when we're in His Word and in prayer, and as He's given us the, the wisdom and the understanding, and we take a step of faith and He empowers us, well, experience steadfastness. An ability to hang in there. And it actually kind of focuses on the, the circumstances. And he says, all patience. It's a state of remaining tranquil while waiting. Isn't that really what we want when we're going through difficult times? If it can't be removed, then Lord, just help me to remain tranquil while I wait whatever you're going to do. And it, a lot of times the reason why it hasn't removed it is because we haven't learned to be patient yet. We haven't learned to be tranquil. To sit there and go, okay, God's got it. I, I got to know that God's got it. God, I know you've got it. Continue to spend time with him. And so how's your anxiety? How's your view of life? How's your view of your circumstances? Are you with God in his word and prayer? Are you committed to pleasing him and not yourself in every area of your life? Are you looking for opportunities to share his love? Listen, it starts in our church family, right? But if if our spouses are believers, then it starts there. If our children are believers, then it starts there. If our parents are believers, it starts there. If If our brothers and sisters are believers, it starts there. And then it moves into our spiritual family, and then it moves out of our spiritual family to those in our lives. Are you continually looking to him to strengthen you and then step out in faith and then watch him work? Because that's when we know him is when we see him working in and through us. And then Paul finishes out 
And it says, joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's ultimately what we will be doing, is just thanking God for all that he's doing in our lives because we're seeing him do things that only he could do. He's the one who's transferred us from the spiritual domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're going to talk more about that next week, so I'm not going to get into that other than say that. He's given us spiritual life. We're no longer spiritually ignorant. We're spiritually dead. We have spiritual life, and we can do life God's way because he's going to empower us. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that next week. Well, as the band comes up, our takeaways for today. First question is this. Has the invisible spiritual transaction that God offers happened in your life? Now, I asked that question, and I know that you know, probably most of us in this room have, would say, yeah, I've, I pray to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm in Christ. But sometimes I talk to people who say they've done that, and then they're just kind of doubting it. They're not really sure. The Bible makes it very clear that Salvation is a point-in-time situation where God's Spirit confirms with our spirit that we're a child of God. And yeah, I know we're, none of us are perfect, and I know we struggle, and sometimes we're kind of walking away from the Lord, and He's got to bring us back, and, and so I get all that. But there's a sense in Scripture that if we've truly placed our faith in Christ, that that's confirmed. We get that. We know that. In spite of where we're at right now, and if we're walking away, yeah, yeah, I know I'm, I know I'm walking away. You know, I'm just fighting with God, and you know, God's trying to get me back. And so, if you're here this morning, you're just kind of fighting, and you're not really sure where you stand with God, make that your takeaway and accept God's forgiveness that he's offering you. And give your entire spiritual well-being to him. Don't try to get it there on your own. You won't be able to do it. And then experience God working in your life. And secondly, how is your relationship with God? Is it growing deeper? Do you sense that, yeah, I'm struggling with stuff, but I know there's, there's growth happening. I can see where growth is happening. And if you can't see it, maybe sit with somebody else and say, hey, you know me for a while. Do you see growth happening? And if you're struggling with that, get back into God's Word and in prayer. Be committed to being here on Sundays and on Thursdays, worshiping God together with your church family. Commit to serving other people starts in our church and commit to sharing Christ's love with others, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, and then watch God do all that he says he wants to do. God will be seen in your life. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close with a song.